Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the East Pittsburgh Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Rowe, head strength coach at Case Specific Wellness and Case Specific Athletics here in Plum, Pennsylvania. We specialize in individualized sports performance and personal training for everyone from the average Joe to elite athletes. You can learn more about that at www.casespecificwellness.com. And of course, don't also forget to check out Case Specific Nutrition for currently virtual nutrition counseling for any goal, any person, as far as nutrition, whatever you're looking for. They can take care of that. We have a team of registered dietitians all over the Pittsburgh area, even extending into central PA here soon. And let me tell you, they are extremely good at what they do. They will absolutely help you reach whatever nutrition-related goals that you have in a sustainable and enjoyable way that works well for you, your lifestyle, your schedule. And honestly, they're just genuinely good-hearted people. They're fun to be around. We always have a good time at team get-togethers and, and you know different events like that. They're, they're just a good group of people. You can get more information about case-specific nutrition at www.casespecificnutrition.com or on Facebook, Instagram, etc. at Case Specific Nutrition. Today's episode is again brought to you by Hand X Band. They produce high quality, durable resistance bands that are a huge, huge asset for training while we're all stuck at home in this quarantine or whatever you want to call it, doing your social distancing thing. Training at home, resistance bands are a major key and a major factor to in continuing to improve and maintain the fitness level that you had when we went into this. Um, they also have the hand X band, which is awesome for those of you who are racket type sport players, might have some tennis elbow or golfer's elbow issues. Uh, they have the band that goes around your fingers and around your hand and you extend your fingers out against that resistance. It's an awesome exercise, not something that gets trained very often in your normal day-to-day. Uh, it's an awesome product. I've been using it for years. And if you go over to www.handxband.com, go through the product line, pick out whatever you like at checkout. If you use the code J-R-O-W-E, that's J-R-O-W-E you get 15% off your order. So go check those guys out, all of the above. That was a long-winded intro to this podcast, but... I have a nice professional network that I like to promote because they're all awesome, all awesome. But moving into today's episode a little bit, um, it is a Q&A today. And I suppose that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing in that I get to directly address you guys and, and find out what it is that you would like information on. But then I also feel like it's kind of a cop out whenever I run out of things to talk about, which unfortunately is kind of where we're at. Um, interestingly enough, this podcast came about as a result of the restrictions on social interaction. Uh, you know, I kind of had to shut down the in-person training at the facility here, and so I needed something else to do to, you know, get the get the name of the gym out there. You just create brand recognition really and so the podcast just seemed like a fun you know interesting new unique way for me to attack that but at the same time 
being stuck in quarantine with minimal training options, I am quite frankly running out of things to talk about because most of the topics that I would normally discuss are related to gyms. And so, until we are back to it, we might have a few of these Q&As. But I did put a uh, question box up on the Instagram story. I got a couple responses amongst a whole bunch of spammy bot responses, which are super annoying. I does anyone else get those? Like, I honestly, I want, if you do, I want you to like, tell me on social media. Because every time I put a question submission thing on my Instagram story, I get three or four legitimate responses depending on the topic, sometimes more. But then like 15 different spammy accounts that put some nonsense in that question thing that means nothing. Or I, I've literally gotten them where there's no actual text. It just is a blank response. And then I have to go through and block all these accounts and report them because they freaking annoy me. So does anyone else get those? I, I, they drive me freaking nuts. But anyway... Getting into our questions, I got three good questions here. Uh, we'll see how long this episode runs. I'm already five minutes in just on the intro, so <laughs> it might be a little bit uh, long-winded today. But we will see what happens. So let's roll right into question one here. This is coming from Devin, our intern with the case-specific brand. Devin is awesome. She is always looking to help in any way she can, so we appreciate Devin a lot. And she, her question today is, could you explain deloading? Is it actually beneficial? And if so, for whom and how often? So, Devin and everybody else, deloading is uh, kind of a planned drop in volume or intensity of your training to allow for recovery and overall increased performance, really. So, I guess this idea kind of relates more to a sports performance style of training where the programming is really methodical and really planned out in advance where you might have you know, a progression of increased intensity over the course of three or four weeks and then maybe on that fourth week you plan to reduce your intensity back to whatever you were to start for example you know so let's say you know, we're training at 70% of our 1RM on our, our main exercises for three weeks. Or, or, so we're starting there for week one. Week two, we plan to go up to uh, 75%. Week three, 80%. Maybe we even go week four, we go 85%. And then on that last week, we might drop down to 70% again where we started. And that, that's just one example of how that can go. There's a million different ways that you can quote-unquote deload um, but again the goal is just to reduce the intensity to kind of allow your body to recover from that buildup of intensity over the previous couple of training weeks now what most people don't realize about weight training uh, in general is that it fatigues your central nervous system whenever you're training with high intensity, as athletes do. Um, your, your central nervous system is responsible for for sending the stimulus to do anything, really, uh, from your brain into the rest of your body. So if I want to do a bicep curl, my body has, or my brain has to send uh, 
you know, that electric potential, action potential, I guess it's called, to my muscles of my arm to tell my elbow to bend, right? And so lifting super heavy weight or doing super explosive stuff is very CNS intensive. And so that over time creates fatigue in the central nervous system that can completely inhibit your performance. And so, you know, we all know fatigue as far as, uh, as, far as muscle strength, I, I guess you'd say, or, or muscle action goes. It causes you to be weak. It reduces your power output. It reduces your endurance. It inhibits cognition even. Once you get so tired, you, you know you kind of feel foggy. You're not thinking straight. It reduces your proprioception or your balance. You might feel off balance once you, you know, after doing a heavy set of squats or something like that. So we know that all those, all those uh, factors play a role in fatigue as far as muscle exertion goes. The, the same law applies for your central nervous system. When that gets fried out, a, a, you, you might see someone that just kind of like staring blankly off into space, not, you know, mouth high, hanging wide open. That is indicative of uh, central nervous system fatigue where your, your brain's just kind of fried and you, you just don't feel like you can do anything. Um, structuring your programming with a planned week of deloading is allowing your body to recover from that that accumulated fatigue. And it, it it's also plays a role in what we call overcompensation, which is where you're, you're, we apply this stimulus to our body in training, we beat it down, performance, everything goes down. And so it, you, if you're looking at it on a graph, your x-axis, your horizontal, you see a line, it, it trends downward. That's why we're training, right? Because we're, we're beating our muscles downward, wearing everything out, it's getting tired, our performance is going down. And then you'll, what you'll see is that line will start to trend back upward, which is during our recovery period. And then it'll cross over that x-axis and go a little bit high before returning back to baseline, right? That high part that it, where it crosses over the y-axis or axis and continues upward, that's what we call overcompensation, which is just your body saying, okay, this amount of stimulus was applied to me before and it beat me down, I need to recover and be stronger to deal with that whenever it comes around again. So when you're putting in that deloading week, it, it it's, it's just a way to help your body amplify that recovery really. Um, and so as far as, is it beneficial? Absolutely, absolutely. For, for athletes in particular, like I said, is, is where this style of training is most common um, because they're following a very specific regimented programming style most of the time. So you might see a, a conjugate method uh, training style where you're training max effort upper and dynamic lower and then dynamic upper, max effort lower. So you have four training days a week, we'll say. Um, with the intensity of those sessions, trying you know, you're, you're increasing the intensity of those sessions week to week in order to gain the strength and gain power. So over time, it just it's going to beat you down. So incorporating that program just allows you to kind of reset uh, during the deload week with that reduced recovery, reduced intensity, and get back to it after that and hit it even harder. Like I said, your body adapts to the training stimulus that you apply to it. So whenever you allow it a little bit of a rest, that just gives you a little bit more time to get ready to bump up your intensity even more. Now, do I think that 
every single person that is out there that touches a weight or goes to the gym regularly needs a deload week? Probably not. Um, and again, I don't. I certainly don't want to undermine the importance of recovery, but in a general population, I feel that you can maybe substitute active recovery days within your training schedule as opposed to a deload week. And different people are going to recover differently from exercise. I've always been pretty good with recovery, and so uh, deload weeks are something that I have tended to uh, uh, disregard a little bit more than I should. Now, with that in mind, I do take an off day at least every week, and uh, I do a lot of side stuff outside of the gym, like walking or, or hiking, things along those lines to amplify my recovery whenever I'm not in here. But deload weeks, it, it, it's, it's difficult, you know, because when you go to the gym or, or you are going to the gym, you're training for athletics or even for looks, you know, something along those lines, you want to be in there getting after it and training hard. And so it's hard to say, okay, this week I'm going to back my intensity down and not completely thrash myself while I'm in the gym. It's not an easy thing to do for, for a lot of people. So again, maybe throwing in those active recovery days where you take a day to go on a hike or go swim, go surf if you're somewhere by the ocean or living in the mud puddle that is Pennsylvania. You want to go take your kayak out down the street where it's raining every day. I shouldn't complain. It's nice out today. But just getting outside of the gym and doing something else, working different muscles than what you are all the time, beating yourself down with weights. Um, and with that in mind, like I said, the deloading is generally applied more to a sports performance population where the general population just go into the gym uh, you know, weekly for looks or just to help maintain decent health. You're not training with a, as much structure generally, right? So you're, you're kind of just going in, okay, I'm going to do this today, this today. You, you, you maybe have a plan for what you're doing going in. Maybe you don't. You just like to wing it. The cumulative central nervous system fatigue that you're experiencing from that is likely far less than what these athletes are, are doing whenever they're going in, doing a max effort squat or heavy deadlifts, heavy bench press, stuff like that. So the, the fatigue overall is going to be a little bit greater for them. And for you, you maybe throwing in that active recovery day once or twice a week is perfectly fine and, and you never feel... Like you're coming into the gym after a few weeks of doing a, a certain workout or a certain program, and like, man, you know, I, I'm just not, I'm not feeling it today. I'm tired coming in. I don't feel motivated to work out. That's where that deload week comes in. We want to prevent that in that mindset before it, before it hits. You know what I mean? We're trying to prevent that so that we can always just be going hard on these athletes whenever the time is is set for it, right? So we don't want them coming in for a max effort day and saying, I'm not feeling it today. My legs are weak. I'm just not, not in the zone. Maybe that's probably indicative that we should have already had a low week that we didn't. So it's just something to keep in mind there. Um, for, again, for those of you who are general, general populations, just going to the gym to stay healthy and, and look good. Maybe you feel like you need that after every couple weeks, and maybe you've taken a day or so each week to just do something different and, and calm it down a little bit. Um, it's, it's perfectly fine for you. 
you have to listen to your body. You know what I mean? You're the only person who can tell if you are if you are recovering adequately between sessions and between training cycles. So that is a general overview of uh, deloading and who it's for. I, as far as timeline on it, it's generally every four to eight weeks that with athletes that I train, I might deload them. And you know, maybe that is just changing up the workout completely for the week. Maybe it is just reducing the intensity like we talked about on those, on those main heavy lifts. But again, it, it kind of comes down to listening to the athlete, listening to your body if you're, if you're talking for yourself. Um, gauge yourself on that. And determine, you know, maybe for you it's 12 weeks, something like that. It, there's no set number for it. But generally in the sports performance arena, we're looking at around every four to eight weeks. And that is deloading. Before I go to question two here, I'm going to get a drink so I don't get all raspy and start talks, talking with a lisp on you guys. Always stay hydrated out here. So, question two coming from my man Jeff. Good to hear from you, brother. I can't wait until we can get back in the gym. I'm excited for that. Uh, best number of sets per muscle group when training in the gym. How many sets are too much? Well, Jeff, uh, again, this kind of depends on your training goal. Jeff is a bodybuilder, and so, as, as well as I am, and so for us, the goal that we are training for is generally hypertrophy. Now, I do like training like an athlete as much as I like training for hypertrophy. So I, I kind of do a hybrid of this. But in, this is all just general rule of thumb. But if we're looking at hypertrophy here, we're looking at generally three to five sets. And the reason for that number, or, and I guess you'll get a better gauge on that once I compare it to the other goals. But we're looking at three to five sets. Because with that kind of training, we are generally hitting a little higher number of reps than if we were training, say, for strength, right? So the, the textbook definition of a hypertrophy rep range is like 6 or 8 to 12 reps per set. And again, usually around the same thing. Textbooks might go more 3 to 4 sets, possibly. I like 3 to 5. And with the, within those sets, in those, those 8 to 12 rep ranges, you're also seeing a lot of, again, this is hypertrophy, or this is muscle building style, bodybuilding type stuff. You're usually going to see a lot of supersets, a lot of drop sets or burnouts at the end of a, a third set, just beating yourself into the ground as hard as you can. So you're seeing a ton of extra volume right there. So if we're doing three sets, just keep it general here for you guys. We'll say three sets of 10. But that last set of 10, you're going to do a, a drop set, drop 20% off your weight, and do as many more reps as you can. You might double your total reps on that, just on that set. You know, you might go from 60 reps to, to 80 or something over, or, or rather, geez, 60 reps, uh, 30 reps over three sets, three sets of 10. You might add another 20 reps to that, get yourself up to 50. You know what I mean? And so you are getting a ton of volume and really beating that muscle into the ground just based on sets. So you don't necessarily need a whole lot, or, or just based on reps, you're beating yourself into the ground. So you don't necessarily need a whole lot of sets because the volume's coming just by reps. Now let's switch over to a strength and a power focus. Again, more indicative of, of the athletic population. You're going to see 
generally around five to eight plus sets, right? So almost double what you're looking at for hypertrophy. The reason for that being that we're not doing those high rep counts with, with super high volume per set. We're going heavier weight, assuming we're, we're training for strength here, heavier weight, lower number of reps. We might do five sets of three is a, is a pretty classic powerlifting type setup for training. So your five sets of three, you're doing five sets way more than in uh, hypertrophy focus, but you're still only getting 15 total reps over those five sets. Um, and also what you, what you have to remember is that the goal here is to train for strength and the only way to get stronger is to train with heavy weights, weights that are not easy for you to handle. And so as nice as it would be for us to say, okay, this is really heavy, I'm going to do 10 reps with it, that's not realistic. Your body, that's not the way physiology and anatomy and muscle building work, unfortunately. So we have to say, all right. This is a heavy weight. It's you know probably we'll say my five or six rep max. I'm gonna move it for a set of three. Give myself a nice long recovery period. Do it again. Nice long recovery period. Do it again. And so by allowing those long rest periods and lower lower rep sets, we get that volume built up over a number of sets instead of in reps per set. This is a lot of terminology. I hope it's not confusing. I'm just kind of rambling right now. So I hope it's still straightforward for you guys. Uh, and then the same thing goes for power, where you, again, we, we mentioned earlier that fatigue plays a role in your ability to exert maximal power. So as you start to fatigue, you're not going to be able to push weight as hard and as fast. So with power sets, the weight isn't going to be as high as max effort sets or, or super heavy sets. We're going to go to that mid to higher or mid, mid high weight range and push the weight as quickly and explosively as possible. But the same principle applies where we can't sustain that for a long set as far as rep count. So we do a couple reps. We rest a nice long time, give our body a chance to fully recover. We do it again. Give our, chance, our body a chance to fully recover. Do it again. So again, hypertrophy versus strength and power. It, completely different rep ranges. Now, you also have, some people like to train for endurance. Um, again, you're, you're kind of looking at a more extreme version of the hypertrophy style where you're getting a ton of reps per set, 20 plus reps maybe each set. So we don't need to go super high because again, the longer you go, the more sets you do with those high reps, your performance is just gonna go down and down and down. And so eventually you're just, you're running on a down escalator, really. You're, you're running up a down escalator. You're not getting anywhere. You just beat yourself into the ground for no reason. The, you know, the, uh, the reward, it, it starts to decline. There's a term for that, but I can never think on my feet whenever I'm doing these podcasts. So I don't remember. Dimin oh, law of diminishing returns. That's what it is. Diminishing returns. I know stuff. Um, but... So that is a general overview of your rep range. These, these are not set in stone by any means. You know, I'm not saying you should only do this many sets or this many reps for each of your goals. It, it, you know, it varies all the time. But that's just kind of a general overview based on my experience as well as like textbook definitions of things. So Jeff, I hope that helps you. You're a bodybuilder. We're trying to get big three to five sets. Let's go with that. 
Moving on to our third and final question from Caitlin, a client of mine, just graduated from grad school. Good job, Caitlin. We're proud of you. Uh, she says, transitioning from competing in college sports to being a washed-up athlete, how does one continue to maintain without the same intensity slash high level of competition? I get you, Caitlin. Uh, so I, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening have dealt with this. You get done with your sport, you're graduating college, you're not playing anymore, and that motivation to train and to improve, it, it's very easy to lose that. Because all this time that you are playing the sport, you have a specific goal for why you're going to the gym. You are there to improve your performance in that sport and to become the best athlete at that that you can, you can be. Now, you go from that training for improved performance to training for what? And that is the problem right there. We run out of, or we lose our, our, our reason, our, our why for going to the gym. And so I think the biggest factor in this, in this case, hey, you know, when you're out of college, retiring from your sport basically, finding a new why for your training. And the, every person is going to have a different one. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not, it's not a, a consistent thing across the board. For many people out there, for many athletes, you know, maybe the gym isn't something that they necessarily enjoy doing. I mean, it's not something that's so ingrained in them that it's kind of a, a habit that's directly stitched into their lifestyle. Um, so finding that intrinsic reason to continue going is a, a huge factor for building consistency until it ju does maybe become just that part of your life or part of your day that you do uh, without even thinking about it. And so, again, let's look and try to find out what our new why is going to be. Uh, maybe you, you've got a job now, you're out of college, and it's a sedentary job, you're sitting all day, and you know you start to notice you gain a little bit of weight, or you know, you kind of feel yourself rounding over. Your back hurts a little bit because you're always in that seated position. Your hip flexors are tightening up, and you know, so you're just generally de developing bad habits and, and creating poor musculature uh, or uh, muscular tone. We call that just from your your, your job now. Uh, maybe you're aging and you're starting to notice you're getting some aches and pains you didn't have before. Again, unfortunately, all of us deal with that as we do get older. Even me, you know, being 26 now, I'm starting to notice things hurting now and not going away as quickly as I used to. And boy, is that frustrating. Uh, but getting into the gym, huge benefit for getting rid of those little, those little things that come up and, and really preventing further injuries just from something stupid happening like rolling your ankle, you know, getting on your feet, putting some weight on your back and, and training your lower body is awesome just for building things like ankle stability. Um, maybe you're, you're starting a family and you just had a baby or, or you're planning to have a baby and you want to be in shape and ready to deal with that extra load on your, on your spine. Um, or maybe you just want to look good to find a mate. That's understandable. That's a good why. Um, as long as you maintain it after you find said mate, of course. But just to reiterate, as if I haven't enough, finding that why for training is going to be, that, in my mind, that's your biggest 
your biggest number one uh, factor in finding that new motivation and, and keeping the intensity up in your training. Now, with that being said, sports performance and general fitness training have a significant amount of overlap. And I've talked about this a handful of times, whether that's on like the Fitbrew Friday videos that I've done or just talking to clients and other, other coaches. First, think about what, what qualities that we need for sports performance. We need mobility. We need strength. We need power output. We need balance. Things along, things along those lines. Now look at life and tell me which of those you don't need going through life. Mobility. Oh yeah, absolutely need mobility. The, you know, the better you maintain that, the better your joints are going to feel in the long term and you're, gonna, you're less likely to injure yourself from taking a, a weird fall or an unexpected you know, shot from whatever happens to, you know, to run into you. Strength. Strength is the most functional quality out there, in my opinion. You're lifting things, moving stuff around your house, uh, you know, helping your friends move, you, what, something, anything along those lines. Strength is very important, and just maintaining a general level of strength, just for you know basic functions like getting yourself up out of a chair, or, or you know, again, going back to that idea of you know an unexpected fall or something along those lines. A little bit extra strength goes a long way in preventing injury from that. Power, a little bit harder to relate for most people to uh, to general wellness. But I, I'd encourage you to look at it less from a sports performance version of power and more from, let's say, an older person who um, you know is starting to lose their mobility just because of, of aging. And you know, we, we hear about older folks falling all the time and throwing out their hip. Well, that falling comes from not being able to catch themselves quick enough to prevent it, you know? So if you were standing up right now and you lean forward, lean forward, lean forward, eventually what's going to happen is one of two things. You're either going to fall flat on your face or one of your feet is going to kick forward and stop you before you fall too far. That is power. That ability to move that leg quickly out in front of you to catch you, that's power. And so... It, that comes right back to general wellness and general fitness. And then balance, just the same. Preventing those falls, being able to correct things, you know, or correct your body position whenever it gets out of its equilibrium. That's huge for general wellness as well. So as you're saying with, with all these examples, that sports performance, those sports performance training characteristics are very applicable to normal, average, everyday life. And so... The, the carryover is significant. So in terms of how your training should actually be after after switching over from athletic performance, I don't think it changes much, honestly. I, I think you keep it really similar. Now your goals, and again, going back to finding that why, that might be a little bit different, you know? So maybe maybe now you wanna to train to look better. Uh, we're, we're, gonna get, we're gonna talk about this in just a minute. Um, so yeah, your goal is gonna change a little bit, but all those factors still play a, a big role in that. Now, being a former athlete, I find that it's probably actually easier to train with that higher intensity because there's no sports to, to worry about performing well for. Like we talked about back on the first question, uh, with fatigue, you get diminished performance, right? So as your muscles get beat down, your ability to perform well for sports uh, is going to be reduced. 
when you're training an athlete or, or when you are an athlete that is training in the gym, you have to plan that, that gym time around your athletic schedule. The sports are, are the number one priority. And if you are allowing the training sessions that you are going through to diminish your performance in the sport, you're not going to be playing the sport for long. So now suddenly we're retired and we don't have those sports that we need to be performing well for. Suddenly that opens up an opportunity for us to put more emphasis on the actual time in the weight room. So we can train for hypertrophy more or you know we can train to, to get bigger muscles where those muscles might have been uh, not a huge asset. You, you know, they might have limited your mobility and, and put unwanted restrictions on your body whenever you're performing for a, a sport. And the same goes for just that training, like we talked about with the higher volume that kind of beats you into the ground, doesn't let you recover as quickly. Suddenly, having that recovery for sports isn't a factor. And so, again, we can put a little bit more emphasis on new goals, like looking good, or, you know, adding a little bit of muscle to your frame. Um, that's a huge, huge benefit to having the sports not be there anymore. Uh, it's also an opportunity for you to train with more variety. So with such specific training goals for athletes, a lot of times the, the training format is very uh, one-dimensional, we'll say. And so you don't get an opportunity to really try different things. Again, now with those sports being out of the way, we don't have such strict, I don't, I don't want to say restrictions on ourselves, but limitations on what justifies uh, or, or what can be counted as sports performance we have an opportunity to try different things and, and different training styles that maybe you couldn't before because it didn't mesh well with your sport. And so that allowing that bit of variety back into your life or into your training can add a little bit more excitement into it as well. It, you know, it gives you a chance to try different things out and find what, you know, you might find a different kind of training style that does excite you and, and get you ready to, excited to go to the gym and get after it every day. Or not even at the gym, I guess, yeah, anywhere you are. So again, another chance for variety. And also, you are not alone in being a washed-up athlete. You, those that continue to do the sport post-college are the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And so there's no shortage of others in your exact same position anywhere in the world. So what I would say is look for a training partner at, at the gym that you're training at or at home. That doesn't really work, but that's where we're at right now. But whenever we get back to the gym, look around, talk to people. Um, th there's a lot of people out there that probably played your same sport that are going through the same thing you are and would love to have someone to go to the gym with that can add that excitement, that accountability of having someone there with you or is counting on you, and the motivation that, that you could just push each other through those sessions and put that little bit extra intensity that you might not otherwise put into the, into the training in there. And, you know, I, I, I can say uh, personally for myself, most of my best friends that I have now are people that I started talking to in the gym one day because, you know, they're you know, they're doing some exercise that I like, or you know, they're lifting some heavy weight. You, know, you go you know, dab them up, let them know you're a good set, whatever. Those are some of my best friends now, and so it's another 
beyond just the training benefits, you have an opportunity to make some really, really good long-term friends. And so find a training partner. That's another awesome way to keep your intensity up with your training post-collegiate athletics or high school athletics, whatever athletics you're in. Um, but hey, that is my three answers to the three questions and all I have for you guys today. So I hope you are all staying sane and healthy at home, training at home. I hope you all got bands so that you, from Handex band, of course, that you're using training at home. Um, hopefully we won't be shut down for too, too much longer, but I am also not going to get my hopes up for that. Encourage your friends, and I encourage you as well, to submit questions to me. Ask me questions on social media. Text me if you have my number. That's fine. Um, because obviously, the longer we're in this quarantine, the less <laughs> I'm going to have topics to actually talk about without some assistance from you guys. But check back in for two or for episode five here in two weeks, guys. I, this was fun. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I will talk to you in two weeks.